Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. If you have your Bible open, will you turn back again, please, to Daniel chapter 5? And we read from verse 22 down to verse 31, the end of the chapter. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that Daniel 5 is not by any means a cheerful chapter of Scripture. Sure it's not. It's quite dark. It's foreboding. There's no light in it. There's no gospel in it. The whole of the chapter is law and it's condemnation. Daniel has been called to speak to Belshazzar. But when he speaks to him, There are no words of comfort. There's no exhortation to repent for Belshazzar. There's no hope for Belshazzar. There's no happy ending in this chapter. And that's what makes it such a difficult chapter to read. And a difficult chapter to preach from. And I'm sure as you've found out over the past few weeks... Not a nice chapter to listen to either. It's a difficult chapter to read. There's no redemption in it. If you want that, you have to wait until chapter 6. And yet even in this awful, doom-laden chapter of the Word, the one thing that we do see is that God's sovereign purpose is at work. I think that's important. Because we're surrounded by doom and gloom constantly at this moment in time. And it would be easy for Christians to become discouraged. We can become discouraged with what's going on at a national level. We can become discouraged by the propaganda methods that are used to manipulate us. We can become discouraged by the death toll of over 4,000 babies that have been murdered in Northern Ireland since the abortion law was changed just a couple of years ago. 4,000 children lost, sacrificed. And yet what I want you to see is that even in the depths of this discouragement, God is working his purpose out. There is a sovereign purpose going on behind the scenes that maybe Daniel or Belshazzar or the Queen haven't even appreciated. But when we come to the end of this chapter and move on into Ezra, we will see that that's exactly what happened. So one final look at Daniel chapter 5. I want you to see the great excoriation of the king. The way in which Daniel speaks to him. Because the fingers have written their message on the wall. And the riotous party has come to an abrupt end. And Daniel has reminded Belshazzar of the work of God in the past. How even dreadful sinners like Nebuchadnezzar could be turned from their wickedness and turn to God. But Belshazzar has a hardened heart. Verse 22, where we began to read, says, Thou, his son, O Belshazzar, 
Hast not humbled thine heart. So you can't come to God with a haughty heart. You must come on bended knee. You must come humbly admitting that you're a sinner. And Belshazzar wasn't prepared to do that. Let's think about him for a minute and see how wicked he is. In verse 23, we're told that he has lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. He'd lifted himself up. Who did he think he was? He's thinking very highly of himself. This man, Belshazzar, his self-esteem is off the scale. Common indication of a rebellious heart. It's what they even encourage in our children today. You'll hear them saying they have to value themselves. They have to follow their heart. They have to be what they want to be. And then when people come to the end of their life, they get to their funeral service, and they'll play, I did it my way. And everybody will say, what a great fellow he was. He was an individual. He followed his heart. Pride. But all pride is against the Lord of heaven, isn't it? Thy hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. When you say, my way is best, I'm going to do this the way I want. I'm going to raise my self-esteem and think highly of myself. It's a direct sin against the God who created you. The Hebrew poet in Psalm 22 had no pride. He admitted, I am a worm and no man. Daniel's not pulling his punches here. Says, Thy hast brought the vessels of the house, the Lord's house, before thee. And thy and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and in whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified idolatry. So he's full of pride and he's full of idolatry and he's committing this unpardonable sin of rejecting the overtures of the Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin mentioned by Jesus in Matthew. Matthew chapter 12 and 31 Wherefore I say unto you All manner of sin and blasphemy Shall be forgiven unto men But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost Shall not be forgiven unto men He hardened his heart And he spurned God's grace Daniel reminds him here at the end of Verse 23 that he has been living a life that is privileged. He has enjoyed the common grace that God gives to everyone. It is the Lord who gives us the most fundamental of basic necessities, the very breath of life itself. We are in his hands. My breath is in his hands. And because of this, he demands that every single person acknowledge his goodness and his grace for we are created to bring honour and glory to God. Yet Belshazzar is living for himself, for pleasure, 
for sin. So he's left with no excuse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. We're warned for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You can see God all around you. You can see him outside. He created this world just by the very fact that there is a creation. We know that there is a God. The fact that there is a creation means that there must be a creator. And Paul says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, those who reject him, are without excuse. So we move on to these words that were written on the wall. We learned about them a few weeks ago, what they were like and how much terror they brought to the king. Verse 25, this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, you farsen. God sent that part of a hand to write on that wall. It says in verse 24, this was the part of the hand sent from him. Now don't ask me how he did it. God can often intervene in strange ways to bring godly sinners to a halt in their wickedness, for he controls everything in this world. Daniel reads the words, this is the writing that was written, and he tells the king precisely what they mean. So he begins with Mene, 26, this is the interpretation of the thing, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. It's said twice for emphasis to demonstrate its certainty. But there is no mistake. God numbers our days. My times are in his hand. He numbers the days of our lives and he numbers the days of our businesses and he numbers the days of kings and he numbers the days of parliaments and he numbers the days of empires. And he brings them to an end, and the end of Belshazzar's kingdom has come. And take out verse 27. Thou art weighed in the balances, and found wanting. Like every man, weighed in the scales of God, Belshazzar fails the test. And Perez, you farson. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The word Perez just simply means Persians. Daniel uses it like a wordplay. A very similar word means divided. Everything will be taken away. Everything will be gone. All of this partying and this the things of this life that are so valuable to the, to the sinner, they're gone, leaving complete terror and destitution in its place. And this message, this writing on the wall is for Belshazzar, but it's for every one of us. It's a message of certain death and judgment and eternal desolation forever and ever for all of those who are willful and proud self-serving, arrogant sinners. And look, the condemnation is already in place. He doesn't have to wait to judgment day. He is condemned already. Now the interesting thing here is that at this point, Daniel does not call upon 
Belshazzar to repent, like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. It's too late. King's excoriation, his words of condemnation, and the mysterious epitaph, and finally the terrible end. We come to the end of this chapter. As I've said, it's a depressing chapter. There's nothing of hope here now left for Belshazzar. Daniel announces the terrible fate that awaits the king. Belshazzar doesn't even object. He doesn't protest his innocence. He doesn't say that he's sorry. He doesn't repent. In fact, he just resignedly hands over the promised and totally unwanted reward in verse 29. Then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel didn't want the reward. He'd already told the king, I don't want your money. I don't want your position. I don't want your power. It's meaningless and it's not going to last more than a few hours. But Belshazzar knows that what Daniel has said is true. He doesn't argue. You know, sometimes people will say to you, how could a loving God send people like me into a lost eternity? And what they don't seem to catch on and see is that on that day when they stand before God, they will have no desire whatsoever to argue with God's judgment. Because on that day our sin will not just be apparent to God but to us. And even when God hands down his judgment, even if he were to hand down no judgment at all, we would simply want to shut ourselves out of his holy presence forever and ever. We would demand to be cast away. Belshazzar, seeing the hand of God writing on the wall, learning that he has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, knowing that God's condemnation on him is final and complete, has no argument, his mouth is stopped. Romans 3 and 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Belshazzar has nothing more to say. But look at verse 30. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. That very night. He'd started the night with a grand party. Thousand glittering celebrity guests. Partying away. All sorts of filth and drunkenness. An orgy of debauchery. By morning he was no more. In a previous lesson I mentioned that the mighty Persian army 
under Darius the Mede, had captured the whole of the Babylonian Empire. All that was left was the city of Babylon. It was a massive city. It was a city with heavenly fortified walls. It had strong defences. It had food provision laid up for many, many, many years. It had a plentiful water supply for the river Euphrates flowed right through the city of Babylon just like the river wagon flows through Belfast. King was able to party knowing that the walls of Babylon could never be broken. But Darius the Mede wasn't that stupid. Herodotus, the Greek historian, tells us, and it's perfectly believable, that while Belshazzar was enjoying his revelry, the Persian army had been busy at work. They built a dam on the river. And they diverted the waters of the Euphrates along a canal, a man-made canal. And gradually the waters of the Euphrates River were falling and the mighty Persian army simply walked along the riverbank and into the city of Babylon. They found two traitors who led them to the king's palace. And before dawn broke, Belshazzar was dead. Verse 31. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. He was 62 at the time. In those days, quite an old man. Not as old as, Dar- as Daniel, but quite an old man. And next week, God willing, when we look at Daniel chapter 6, we'll see how he favoured Daniel and how he preferred him. But I began by saying that in the middle of all this darkness, we can see the sovereignty of God. We can. Because the Persians who came into Babylon that night and who got rid of the last of the Chaldean kings began to reign. And the king who followed Darius, whose reign was short in that area, was a man called Cyrus. And Cyrus is the man who's mentioned at the beginning of the book of Ezra. Within a year or so of the events of Daniel chapter 5, the children of Israel were set free from their captivity under Cyrus the king. And all those vessels that the filthy party of Belshazzar had taken and desecrated, those vessels out of the temple of Jerusalem were all gathered up, they were all accounted for, and they were all sent back to begin the worship of God again in Jerusalem. Then the Jews returned, many of them. Jerusalem was rebuilt, the temple was restored. They settled down in the land again. And a few hundred years later, 
God sent his Son into the world through those people. In the midst of darkness, God's light is still shining. God's purpose is still being worked out. Belshazzar is gone. Darius is on the throne. Next week, we look at some more deep political intrigue as Daniel is cast into the den of lions. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.